Grace and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Earlier this week I was uh, in a webinar uh, and one of my friends who's a pastor up in Chicago told this story uh, of a couple weeks ago when he and his family went to a Chicago White Sox game. Uh, They had a free evening so they went to the White Sox game to see some baseball. And as my my friend's sitting there, he looked over very early on in the game and he saw a man sitting by himself, uh, dressed in Red Sox gear. Uh, And he's at a White Sox game. (laughs) So uh, after the first inning or so, he realized that the man was there by himself. He was sitting by himself, nobody's coming over. He's just sitting there watching the game. So my friend leaned over and he asked the obvious question. Are you from Boston? To which the man said, yeah. And start a huge conversation. Uh, what are you doing in town? What have you seen? Are you on business? Uh, and, and just like any conversation that men are in, what's it get back to? What do you do for a living? The man asked my friend that, and my friend said, well, you know what? I, I'm a pastor. And as soon as he said that, it started a two-hour conversation about Jesus, about world religions, about life in Boston and Christianity in Boston. And for two hours, they just sat, watched baseball, and talked about Jesus. All because why? My friend looked over and said, hey, are you from Boston? He built a connection. He built a bridge that eventually let him talk about Jesus. Now we look at that, and we hear that story, and and we say, wow, great job. But if we're honest... It's harder than it looks, isn't it? We start to overthink things. What if I look over and I say to that man, Hey, are you from Boston? And I don't know what to say. Then I say something like, Oh, are you from Boston? Yeah. Great. I'm from Chicago. Uh, And and that's when the story ends, right? That's where the conversation ends. What if I say something weird? What if it's awkward? What if I don't know how to keep the conversation going? It's easier just to stay in my lane, to keep my head down, worry about myself, and that's it. It's easier just to sit and watch baseball and go through life doing what I want to do, worrying about me. And that's what makes today's core value so challenging. We're looking at this series called What's Under the Hood, and we're looking at the core values that power our ministry here at Divine Savior Church. And today's topic is we look to build bridges. That's a core value that we have. We look to build bridges, build connections with people. Why? So we can tell them about Jesus. Just like my friend did. And just like we're going to see the Apostle Paul do today in Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul lived uh, around 40 A.D. He was a missionary from 40 A.D. to about 63, 65 A.D. Uh, He's the greatest missionary to ever live. Uh, He started more churches by himself than uh, probably most church bodies start uh, together. Uh, This man just had a knack for going around, telling people about Jesus, and starting churches. And in Acts chapter 17, we see that he's on his second missionary journey. And So I have a map for you here. This is all the cities he went to on just his second missionary trip to start churches. Every city that you see right there. Uh, he starts in Jerusalem. He goes up. Tarsus is key because as you're reading earlier in, in Acts, uh, Saul becomes Paul, and it's Saul from Tarsus. So Tarsus is where Paul's from. Uh, but he goes up over here 
up through here, through Thessalonica, Berea, and down to Athens. And we're picking up today at the end of his missionary journey. He's, he's, or I guess more in the middle, he's in Athens, and he's waiting for his friends Timothy and Silas to join him. Because here's what happened. Timothy, Silas, and Paul went to Thessalonica right here, and they started preaching and teaching about Jesus. And a mob of Jewish people formed and tried to kill Paul. And so the three of them escaped to Berea, right there where they started to preach and teach about Jesus there. But the mob from Thessalonica traveled down to Berea to try to kill Paul again. Not Timothy and Silas, just Paul. And so Timothy and Silas said, Paul, go down to the coast. We'll stay here and preach and teach about Jesus, start the church, uh, develop it, and we'll meet you down in Athens. And so that's what Paul did. He went down to Athens down here, and that's where he's hanging out, waiting for Timothy and Silas uh, to come and meet with him. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Athens was, if you know your history, if you were a history buff in, in high school, uh, you know that Athens used to be a, a world power. It was recognized by the Roman Empire for their leadership in art, literature, uh, philosophy, wisdom, and uh, even government. Athens was the first city to introduce democracy. And here, when Paul's there... Uh, the city is actually on the decline. It's not as powerful as it, as it had been at one point. But what they still hold, held near and dear to them was wisdom and philosophy. They were big into that. And so while they're, they're uh, big into wisdom and philosophy, they're also big into religion. And if you know anything about Athens and, and Greek gods, the Greek mythology, uh, they worship gods like Zeus and Aphrodite and Hermes and all of these gods. And it wasn't just, they weren't just out there. They actually had statues of all of them throughout the city of Athens. And what they would do is they'd go, they'd bow down and worship. They'd bring food to them because they believed that you had to feed the gods, otherwise they'd go hungry and get mad at you. And, and, and so this was their worship. And everywhere Paul looks, he sees these statues everywhere and people bowing down and worshiping. And look what happens. He sa- it says, he was greatly distressed, upset, angry, stewing on it as he's walking around seeing all these gods that people are worshiping. And so what's he do? He first goes to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. Which we take a step back and say, man, the Jewish religion was really everywhere in the first century. It had spread all the way to Athens, to Greece. They had a synagogue where Jewish people gathered. So he went there and said, look at from Scripture. Look at from the Old Testament. Jesus is a fulfillment. And then he went out to the marketplace. This wasn't just like H-E-B. This wasn't where you go to get your groceries. This was the, the local hangout place. This was like Starbucks. People come, get a drink. They sit around and talk about the philosophies and ideas of the day. So Paul's in the marketplace talking about Jesus, talking uh, uh, about the resurrection of the dead. And he gets in a conversation with two different groups of philosophers. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. 
Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. You actually know both of these philosophies, uh, Epicurean and Stoic, uh, Stoicism, you just might not know that you know them. Uh, Epicureans, they said that they lived by the philosophy of let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. YOLO, you only live once. Let's live and let live. Let's party on. Stoicism, they said that our greatest pleasure is to do our duty and act reasonably. And so you've got these really rigid people who want to act reasonably and within reason all the time. And you've got these other people that are just partiers. And Paul's talking with them. And they finally say, wait a second, this guy's advocating for foreign gods. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. We need to have an official hearing. And so that's what they do. They bring him to, they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. The Areopagus was in the middle of town. It was a big open forum. And this is where official business took place. The Senate met here, circled him, and he would stand in the middle, and the Senate would listen in. This is where court happened. This is where official meetings happened. And so they bring Paul for an official meeting. Where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about listening to the latest ideas. Talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So they take Paul to the Areopagus, and Paul says, Hey, everybody, I've been looking around, and I see what you worship. And notice where Paul doesn't start. He doesn't start with, Hey, let me tell you about the Old Testament. Let me tell you about this book that we Jews hold near and dear to our hearts. Why doesn't he start there? Because Athenian people aren't going to care. This book means nothing to, you, to them. Notice he doesn't start with, hey, let me tell you about Jewish history. Let me start with Moses and walk you through. They don't care about that either. And so what does Paul do? He looks for a way to bridge the connection to God. And he sees it by looking at their idols. And that's your first point today. Paul looked to their idols to build a bridge. Paul looked to their idols to build a bridge. Paul could have really had multiple reactions as he's looking at these idols, couldn't he? He could look around and say, man, this society is really going down the drain. Uh, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to even talk to to these people. I don't want to engage with these people. This society is going down the drain. He could have gone along with them, right? Just kind of blended in and it had been no big deal. Uh, he, he could have said, look, you have your gods, I have my gods, or my God, we'll just leave it at that. But he doesn't. He looks to build a bridge in any way, shape, or form to talk about Jesus. And where does he find it? He finds it in an idol to an unknown God. And Paul says, 
people of Athens, I can see you're very religious. And I wonder if as he says that, the people around, some are not really big. I wonder if someone from the right said, uh, that's right, and someone from the left said, amen. They're very proud that they're religious. And Paul says, you even have an idol to an unknown God. And this is the one that you don't know, but I do. And I'm going to proclaim to you about this unknown God. And he builds a bridge and tells him about Jesus. When I was at seminary, uh, I worked for a, a company called Squeegee Squad. Uh, it, it was a window cleaning company. Uh, my friend and I worked there. And one day, I'll never forget it, uh, we cleaned both inside and, and outside of this guy's uh, house. And as we're on the inside, he, he's a former military guy, and he, he's following us around from room to room, talking with us, making conversation. And it was probably 30 minutes into our work, into our conversation, when he finally said, you guys do this for a full-time job? And we said, my friend Kendall said, no, let me tell you what we do. We go to seminary here. And the guy said, oh, is that a, a, for Christianity? And he said, yes, sir. And the guy said, oh, I'm Jewish. The bridge had been built, right? Connection made. Guess how Kendall responded? Oh, well, that's good. Guess how I responded? I looked at my window and cleaned. <laughs> I kept my head down and said, I'm going to just worry about my business and that's it. See, I wonder how often we're like that and not like Paul. I wonder if, one, we don't even look to build bridges. If we're not looking for connections to lead people to Jesus. And then I wonder if even when we do see them, if we tend to become too comfortable with, with myself. I like to live in my comfort and in my desires, and it might get awkward if I talk about Jesus here. And so I, I even see the bridge, but it's better for me not to say anything. You see, our, our culture is just like the Athenian culture in the sense that we have our own idols, our own idols that, that our culture and society worships, that we can take those idols and build a bridge and connect them to our Savior God. And yet I wonder if we don't even look at culture to see all the connections that there are. There are three words in our culture right now uh, that lend itself big time to building bridges. They are identity, inclusion, and fear. Identity is huge. You see it everywhere, don't you? People walk around, they talk about what is their identity? Well, I identify as a man. I identify as a woman. I identify as heterosexual, homosexual, transgender, questioning. And this is what people are saying their identity is. This is me. You're really going to build your identity around questioning? That's what your identity is? You're a questioner? You see, we can look at this and we can say, hey, guess what? You're searching for your identity. Let me tell you what my identity is. My identity is not in whether I'm male or female or straight or, or gay or transgender. My identity is what my God says about me. And what my God says about me is that I'm His child. The God of this world, the one who has control over everything, 
says that I'm his heir and that I get to inherit the, the, the riches of heaven. Why? Because of Jesus. I'm God's child. That's who I am. That's what I identify as. Our society is big on inclusion. You can't exclude anybody. To which we should say, great! Because guess what? Jesus doesn't want to exclude anyone either. He wants to include everybody. The Bible says God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The Bible describes heaven as as people of every tribe, nation, and language, of every color, of every uh, race, different shapes, different sizes. All people are going to be there. Jesus wants to include every one of them. But just like we want everyone to be included, Jesus wants to be included in your heart as well. Fear is a big topic in today's society. I just read a book uh, called iGen, all about the the new generation, the generation that uh, can't remember a time before an iPhone. (laughs) Uh, They don't remember what life was like before an iPhone. And what is the characteristic that kind of runs their life is fear. That's why when, when teens turn 16, they wait till they're 19, 20 years old when parents finally say, you have to get your license. Why? Because they're scared of what could happen. They're connected to the internet all the time and see the news stories to, to see what happens. And they're scared to be emotionally hurt, physically hurt. That's why they're not going to parties. That's why they're staying at home. Because fear dominates their lives. And parents, fear dominates your life over your kids. In our society, we've even deemed, a, a, we've even termed it. It's called helicopter mom, helicopter dad. Because parents are afraid to let their children just be. You see, we can take fear in our society and build that bridge. Let me tell you why I don't live in fear. Let me tell you. It's because the God of this world has conquered my greatest enemy, which is death. He's conquered the greatest enemy of my kids, which is death. He holds death in His hands. And He promises to me that even if I die, I'm going to live again. He's going to raise me back to life. The God of this world tells me that He's with me wherever I go. And so I have the God of this world, the all-powerful God, with me no matter what situation I'm in. You see, there's so many opportunities for us to look at culture and build bridges. We can look at movies and themes of movies. We can look at other religions and say, hey, let me, let me connect you to, to God. Instead, how many of us walk around life and say, well, you have your gods and I have my God? Paul didn't. Paul said, hey, let me tell you about this unknown God that you're worshiping. Here's who he is. Here's how the people responded. Or here's what Paul says about that unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Paul starts at the very beginning, doesn't he? 
He says, let me tell you about this unknown God. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth. He's the one who's created everything. And He doesn't live in these temples made by your human hands. He's everywhere. And He's not served by your hands as if He needs anything. You don't need to bring Him dinner to, to pacify Him. He, he's self-supporting. He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need you to do that. In fact, it's just the opposite. You think you're serving God by, and, and keeping Him alive. God's serving you and keeping you alive. In Him, you have life. In Him, you move. In Him, you have your being. This is God. And this God created one man and one woman. And from them, all nations on the earth have come. And what has God done? He has established their boundaries. He has established their cultures. He's established their geography, their history. He's allowed them to have accomplishments. He's done all of this. Why? So that uh, God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. What was the purpose? In hopes that people reach out for Him. What is God doing in everything He does in this world? He's building bridges to Himself, isn't He? You see, here's your next point. God is the ultimate bridge builder. When you think about this world, God has bridges everywhere, doesn't He? We look at the rise and falls of empires and we see God's hand. We look in nature and we see God's power uh, as earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. That's power. And where does that come from? It comes from God. We see His wisdom as we look at the human body, as we look at, at how nature all works together to keep everyone alive. We see God's wisdom. Everywhere God is, He's making connections with us in hopes that we reach out for Him. And when we do, He says we will find Him. This is the God that we serve. And this is the God that Paul says he's explaining. This is the unknown God. This is it. But why? Why doesn't God just appear to us? Well, let me illustrate it for you. By illustrate, I am going to draw pictures. And you have to remember... My artistic abilities is that of a kindergartner, so please bear with me. All right. This is God, and this is us, right? When God created Adam and Eve, He created them to be on the same plane, to see them, to see Him. To, to have a relationship, to talk every day, to, to love each other every day. He created them to have a relationship with Him built around trust, built around love, and built around service. Because that's what true relationship is all about. It's never, how can I be served? It's, how can I serve you? And under those principles, God created Adam and Eve to live with Him. So Adam and Eve were always thinking, how can I serve you? And God was always thinking, how can I serve you? And it was great. Adam and Eve lived like this in the Garden of Eden with God. Until one day when Adam and Eve said, I want to serve myself. I don't want to serve God anymore. I want to serve myself. And so what they do? They ate from the tree that God told them not to. 
And now, there was a huge gap between them and God. What was on our side? What was on human side? We, have, we get death. Uh, please excuse this. This is just horrible. Uh, we get death, guilt. Uh, we get death, guilt, sin. God is perfect and holy and He's in heaven. This is what life is now. This is it. We are completely disconnected from God. And here's the worst part because of our sin. Here's what Isaiah 59 says. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor His ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. That's what I've just illustrated. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. So here's the reality. Because of our sin, God says, you can't see me anymore. In fact, He tells Moses that in the Old Testament. He says, anyone who sees me cannot live. Because that's, an imperfect person can't see a holy God and live. And so what does God do? He hides Himself from us. He causes this barrier to be there so that we can't see God. Now it's at this time that God could say, I'm out. They can't see me. We're not in a, on the same plane anymore. God could just turn His back and walk away, right? But what does God do? He continues to send bridge after bridge after bridge over to us. We see His power. He allows us to see His power. We see His wisdom. He allows us to see His wisdom. We see Him in history. We see Him everywhere in this world. Why? In hopes that we reach out. Because He will not abandon us. Because He is our Father. And we are His offspring. This is what Paul tells the people. We are His offspring. Here's what they say. Or here's what Paul said. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. God not only builds the bridge that way, right? He not only builds up and over, but He builds a cross. And it is through Jesus, through the man that He appointed, the one He rose from the dead, that we know this unknown God. Here's what John says. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself and is in the closest who is it who is Himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Heavenly Father has made Him known. Jesus is the bridge to the unknown God. Jesus is the bridge to the Father. It is because of Jesus that we know that the Father has a heart to forgive. Because what do we see? He wants to forgive you of your sins so much He gave up His only Son. It's through Jesus 
that we know that God has power over death because Jesus raised, was raised back to life. It is through Jesus that we know that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is through Jesus that God says, I'm with you always because your sins are forgiven. It is through Jesus that we know that we have perfection in God's eyes. He has washed us and cleansed us through Jesus' blood. It is through Jesus that we know that heaven is ours. It is through Jesus that we get there. It is through Jesus, the ultimate bridge to the Father. God is in the building bridges business. And He builds His bridge to us through His Son, Jesus. Paul says, let me tell you about this unknown God. He's the God who raised the man He appointed back to life. He raised Him from the dead. This is the God that I'm proclaiming to you. This is the God we know and believe. Paul ends his speech there. Here's how people responded. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So Paul built the bridge, he scatters the seed, and what happens? Some falls on the hard path, right, like we heard last week, and they reject it. They sneered, resurrection of the dead. But some get planted and faith grows, like Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, a member of the Senate, the ruling council of Athens, becomes a Christian. Damaris, a a prominent woman apparently, because she makes it into the Bible, Both of these two were prominent people in the the Athenian church because they're mentioned by name as if they're known. And a number of others became Christians there in Athens. You see, this is why we build bridges. This is why we look to build bridges. We look and observe culture. We look and observe uh, what's going on so that we can connect somebody to Jesus. And we let the gospel seeds fall as they may. So what does this look like for you and what does it look like for for our church? For Divine Savior Church, we look to make connections and build bridges how? Well, we're in the Christmas booth, uh, the Christmas festival in Liberty Hill, and we're in the 4th of July booth, or 4th of July festival, where we have booths there. And we look to make connections, we look to be part of the community uh, to build bridges that way. At one time, we had a Mornings with Mommy program here where moms and dads and their kids came for an hour and it was an interactive learning time uh, where we could build bridges and make relationships and tell people about Jesus. Uh, at one point, we almost had a, a lady from town host a yoga class here. And the idea, I'd be out there, they'd come, they'd do yoga in here after they leave. Uh, I say hello and build a bridge, make a connection. And who knows what happens as as the seeds of the gospel get uh, scattered. In your own life, uh, in your own life, take a look at what your neighbors are going through. What fan of what city are they? Are they not from around here? Ask them where they're from. Start building a connection so that you can tell them about Jesus. That you can lead them to their Savior God who gives you joy, who gives you peace, and who gives you the forgiveness of your sins. Tell them about Jesus, who is the connection to this unknown God who has conquered death as He raised Jesus from the dead. And He conquered it
for you and for me. May God be with us this week as we look to do just this, as we look to build bridges and connect people to your Savior. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for being the bridge to our Father in heaven. It's through you that we know all about him. You have made him known. And we thank you for that. We thank you for conquering death. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And we ask you to help us to build bridges to connect people to you. In your name we pray. Amen.